Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everybody and welcome to this review of star trek strange new worlds here episode nine season two subspace rhapsody here on the geek buddies Michael's a much better singer than I am and certainly can hold his vibrato for longer than I can. But we are excited to be diving into this very controversial episode, Subspace Rhapsody. At this point, Mike, it is 6.8 on IMDb, the lowest rated episode by far. Clearly one that a lot of Star Trek fans didn't like, but a lot of Star Trek fans did like. And so we are going to have fun breaking this thing down. I have to tell you right off the bat, this is one of the most difficult episodes of television that I've ever had to prepare a review for because of how this whole thing was structured and so i'm going to do my best to guide us along here but i also call on my co-host here michael vogel to throw in and toss in anything that i'm missing or anything that he wants to touch on because although both of us love musicals michael certainly is a massive musical connoisseur for sure i don't know john i'm not used to like speaking my mind and interrupting (laughs) i'll do my best but i don't know we'll see exactly well, that's Michael Vogel. I am John Roca. We're big Star Trek fans, and we've been uh, reviewing the season. Uh, in case this is maybe your first episode where you're watching us, we've been reviewing the season as we go along. Uh, but this one, certainly an interesting take a massive chance type of episode here, especially in the world of Star Trek, Mike. This has shades of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer's musical episode, shades of numerous other television shows that have a musical episode. A lot of people were worried how they were going to go about doing this in this episode what did you think overall with how they handled how they started this and made it a musical and the songs and everything that we got here in terms of the storylines as well what did you think overall about this episode so shocking nobody my gay geek ass loves a star wars musical episode a star trek musical episode i would love a star wars musical too i love musicals period so i was very excited about this uh really just stoked about the idea this season has been just a series of big swings after big swings after big swings so they're really going for it um i think this episode was great Uh, Mm. i think had we just gotten a really fun episode where they all had to burst into song and there was some subspace anomaly and it was just a really fun contained silly thing with some songs. I think it would have been really enjoyable. They actually did more than that. So I I actually, you brought up Buffy. I'm going to make the statement. I think that there has not been a TV episode musical as good as once more with feeling the Buffy episode Mm. until this episode. Wow. I I think it's great. And here's the reason why. Um, We've talked about this throughout the season. Like, every episode has kind of been its own thing. But even, like, with the Lower Decks crossover episode, they still carried things forward. Like, even though it was all about Boimler and uh, Mariner being back in the uh, those old scientists' time, 
you carried forward the uh, Chapel and Spock relationship. Yeah, Laon yeah. mentioned to Boimler that she had time traveled. Like they kind of hit these things. So to have a musical episode that's set up the way that this one is mm-hmm. and use the fact that they're living in a musical to push forward Laon and Kirk storyline. Yeah. Uh, Chapel and Spock's storyline, mm-hmm. even um, even um, Pike and um, Marie, yeah, Battelle's uh, Marie, mm-hmm. Captain Battelle's storyline, like mm-hmm. that. That this was not just let's stop the bigger story of the season and do a really funny thing. Yeah. Let's do a really funny thing and still carry through and make something that um, worked. I mean, I think the other thing that they did that was really good is that the obstacle that they had to deal with in this episode was their feelings yeah like that this is a whole episode that you're like oh shit in a musical world when we have strong feelings we're just gonna say it no matter what and so all the things that we've been sort of holding close to the chest and not talking about with our significant others or different people it's all gonna come out this is potentially devastating to the galaxy. And I think that that's just such a fun idea. So I think they really nailed it. And then just purely from a musical standpoint, you know, I think a lot of times when a TV show does a musical episode, it's like, oh, that was fun seeing the actors sing, but the songs aren't particularly memorable. Hmm. And, you know, the rule of a great musical is you got to have at least a couple bangers that you leave the theater humming. And even though I don't think that every musical number in this episode, you know, was uh, knocked it out of the park, I think that... Uh, the opening song status report and then yeah. the we are one finale were great. And then they very wisely leaned on Christina Chong and Celia Rose Gooding, who yep. actually are singers yeah. and gave them the two strongest songs in the episode. So you ended up having really good bangers as well. So for me, this was like a huge win. Um, I absolutely get why there is a certain subset of Star Trek fans that are like, fuck this noise. But <laughs> I appreciate they did it. And I think yeah. this is going to be a Star Trek episode that sort of uh, over the years, people are going to return to and be like, wow, they really went there. This will have a separate. Um, um, how can I say this? This will have a separate. Presentation at Comic-Con some point down the road. Just this episode will be an entire uh, hour of a presentation in one of those rooms in Comic-Con down the road, and it should be. Here's the deal. If you're going to take a chance like this, you got to take a chance like this and go for it. You really do, and they did. They didn't hold back. They didn't kind of mealy-mouth it, and you're right, Mike. They wrote to the strengths of the characters. Everybody can sing to a degree on this show, and they focused their big numbers on the two people who can sing, like Celia Rose Gooding and Christina Chung. Celia Rose Gooding is a Tony-nominated and Grammy-nominated uh, um, uh, performer here before the Jagged Little Pill musical based on the Alanis Morissette album. She has she very much has the chops. Christina Chung was putting uh, examples of her singing ability on Instagram leading up to this episode to show you her abilities as a singer as well. But I thought I was blown away by Rebecca Romaine. Uh, yeah. I couldn't, I just didn't, I had no idea that she had studied voice in college. So not only is she beautiful, has become a damn good actress, but she can sing too. Give me a goddamn break. That's insane. What a wonderful combination of talent here. I thought Jess Bush did a good job with a limited voice in the stuff that they gave her. I thought that turned out well. And Ethan Peck yeah. delivering a perfect Spock musical song to get us started with the musical of all people, the person you think of least to start a musical, this side of the Klingons is Spock and to have Spock started, I thought was a really smart move, but I take your point and you're hundred percent correct. This is the reason I like the episode. They also took time to advance the storylines that we've been dealing with. And the entire episode is about coming together as a team, working as a team, breaking down the walls between us, the little lies we tell in our relationships or friendships that keep us from telling who keep us from revealing who we actually are. And actually when we reveal ourselves is when we're strongest and when we Mm -hmm. become stronger as a unit. So I love that the overall message of the musical episode is what you get out of a musical. This idea of speaking your feelings, connecting with the people you care about, telling them where they are in your life in terms of importance. And that, that being a thing that you can all connect with, and move forward with and then of course later on i'll be like okay we did that already let's not open the door again when uhura starts humming at the end so i loved the overall approach does it all 100 work where there's some cringy moments 
Yes, especially that CGI with Laan and Una through the windows of the Enterprise. But overall, I really enjoyed it and thought they knocked it out of the park. You were going to say? Yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say, I also think, um, you know, for all the songs that they put in there, giving Uhura a song called mm. Keep Us Connected yeah. is like Keep Us Connected just great. a home run concept. Yep. Like, like this, I think that what they've done with Uhura this season kind of culminating with this storyline yeah, where yeah. she is the one that brings everybody back together. Just it, I think it just really honors Nichelle Nichols. Mm -hmm. I think it really honors Ahura as a character. I think everything that they're doing with Ahura in Strange New Worlds makes, it's a halo effect that makes everything that we already love about Uhura mm -hmm. and all the all the barriers that Nichelle Nichols broke back in the day and who Nichelle Nichols has been throughout Star Trek's history. Yeah. Like it just makes everything about Uhura even cooler. And I think that's the best thing that you can say. Like when they kind of came in and said, and we talked about this, John, like yep. you you were very reticent when they cast Paul Wesley as yes. Kirk. You yes. were like, I yes. don't know. But I think what Paul Wesley is doing. Uh, mm -hmm. both his acting and his performance and the storylines that they're giving Kirk, yeah. what Ethan Peck is doing with Spock and uh, what Celia Gooding Rose is doing with, uh, what Celia Rose Gooding is doing with Uhura mm -hmm. is making me love Shatner, Nimoy, and Nichols even more. Yeah, that's excellent. And point. that's what you yeah. want to have happen with these sort of when these sort of stories where you cast younger actors as in a way that even like the newer Star Trek, like the Chris Pine, mm. like like they're all great. I loved that cast. Right. But uh, I, the way that they're telling these stories and weaving it into the universe that we know is coming, I think yeah. for me is even a little bit stronger. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think you're abs I I could not disagree. Uh, I could not agree with you more. I 100% agree with you. I think that's absolutely right. As a mass, as I said, I I'm one of these people that love Strange New Worlds because I like how it connects to the original series. I appreciate it. Not every one of my colleagues who is of my age and grew up with the original series feels the same way, but I'm one of the people that does. And, and I like it. And I enjoy what they're doing. And I like that they're still touching base with us about the overall storylines that we know from the original series with these characters. For example, the fellowship that Nurse Chapel is going to yeah. go to, that's the person that she, the person in yeah. charge of the fellowship, is the person she ends up becoming the fiance. They become fiancés in the in the original series. So I like that they're opening the doors to all of this stuff for sure and 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 tackling it. So um, so when it comes to reviewing this thing, which we'll get into now, I, I think I just broke it down into storylines. So I think okay. that's the best way to approach this with the musical numbers peppered in for sure. So let's start with the Laan Kirk stuff, uh, Laan Kirk stuff, uh, which is I think where we need to start. We see... Una on the uh, on the transporter air in the transport area there with and then uh, uh, Laon comes in. Kirk is coming, uh, being transported from the Farragut, and we see Laon's reaction to Kirk coming. And Una calls her out, and Una says, "It is so hot. Are you making me sweat? You're coming in so hot." Clearly seeing through Laon, Kirk shows up. They have an interaction, but then we see um, Una and Kirk have a waltz number, a Rogers and Hammerstein type waltz number, talking about opening up uh, and revealing parts of yourself to your crew to make connect, a connection yeah. to your crew. Connect to your truth. Connect to your truth, exactly. Even though Una is known for separating it out, Una now is realizing that opening up is where the connective tissue is. We see Lon watching this. She's a little jealous, which leads to her powerhouse number in her quarters there talking about needing to let go of the wheel, needing to stop being so cold, finding a way to make these kinds of connections. And Laon later has a, a duet with Una, as I was talking about just a few mm -hmm. seconds ago, where they each are talking about the ability, maybe the, the time has come to let go of secrets, let go of all these. So they're singing this magic, uh, this really cool duet about letting go of secrets, letting go of all these walls between uh, themselves and the people they care about. And that leads to this fantastic conversation, which I think is the scene of the episode with Lon and Kirk and Paul Wesley. And, what, and they have the conversation Lon does with him about um, the uh, relationship she had with the Kirk in another timeline and the feelings she had for him. And Kirk surprisingly takes it all in stride and then says, I feel this connection too. I can't explain it, but I'm, uh, I have a girlfriend and she's pregnant. And it's Carol referring to Dr. Carol Marcus from, you know, we knew in Wrath of Khan and saying she's pregnant, which is probably David. Uh, so such an interesting connection. But 
It's not probably day, David. It's David. Know, I, I listen. I'm not. I don't know what they're going to do in this show. So, but this <laughs> situation here with Laon is the whole thing was leading to Laon finally being okay with having this last name, being connected to Khan, and glimpsing the possibility of a new life without worrying about her name. And I, there's a strength in that. So by the end, I think that's the journey that Laon's been on throughout the season, and certainly in this episode, finally getting to tell <clears throat> Kurt about the stuff uh, that she had had in the timeline. So what do you think about how all of this went down with Laon, uh, with Una, with Kirk, and then at the end for herself, realizing that uh, she can let go of these fears that she's had and she can walk boldly into a new um, reality and that she's the one that tells Pike our emotions are yeah. the security threat to this whole situation. So what do you think of that? I mean, so yeah, I I mean, I, we talked about this earlier. I Ooh. still think that uh, that Laon Kirk time travel episode is one of the best hours of television that I've seen in the past year. Like it's just so, so good. No. Um, and one of the things that made that good, and one of the things that works really well here is Paul Wesley and Christina Chong have great chemistry. Yes, yes. Like yeah. even La'an walking in the wrong direction and being flustered when Kirk shows up on in the transporter room, it's just, it's adorable. Like it's yeah. all silly and fun, but it really, really works. Um, getting into the musical numbers of it all. So once everything happens, uh, connect to your truth is adorable. Like if yes. you are a classic musical theater fan, watching the two of them waltzing down the halls, it's not like the best song out of all the songs no. in the episode, but the adorableness of them doing it and La'an watching all this happen, right. I think it's really fun. It's effective. It kind of is a cute way of moving the story forward. Following that up with La'an going back to her quarters and just belting out how would that feel yeah. like her big ballad mm -hmm. like christina chong nails it it yeah. is a that is a banger number so if you're a big musical theater fan and you love going to musicals partly like not every musical has every song as a banger like unless right. it's like you know hamilton or rent but um to go from like that opening number which we'll get to a little bit later but like a great opening number mm -hmm. into a very fun and quirky sort of rogers and hammerstein riff with una and kirk into laon's banger that's where I was like, oh, they're pulling this off. Mm -hmm. And the fact that La'an's banger is all about, oh my God, Una just said in her song, she's revealing things that she's never revealed before. Yeah. Fuck, I don't like talking about my feelings at all. And if we're living in a musical dimension, I don't have an option. It's going to happen. Yeah, right. Wouldn't it... I guess maybe it would feel good, but is this me? I don't know. And just like, it really just nails her whole journey yeah um and then you get to uh that leads directly to sort of una and um christina chong after after laon says that she's not going to like she doesn't want to work with kirk yeah. and they have their talk that leads to the keeping secrets song which i think is really lovely if i'm being super nitpicky about musical theater uh lyrics and stuff it's a little bit of a weird one when you listen to the lyrics because yeah. literally the entire song is una saying I grew up keeping secrets. Keeping secrets is great. And it's not until like the very last line, the last lyric is like, I wish maybe I hadn't done, learned to do that. Right. And I kind of wanted more of like a big transition where the beginning of the song was like, this is how I grew up. And then have like this really powerful bridge where she mm. said, but that was the wrong choice. And now I see differently. And then maybe the two of them sang together. But that's me getting very music theater lyricist. Well, it's a, uh, you're a reviewer. We're reviewing this. I think um, that's a fair criticism. But so I think, I think that song, like, even though I really liked it, I liked the vibe of it all. I think the messaging of that one got a little bit messy. But then I think you're right, John. I think, you know, this all builds to this moment where... Even though from a sci-fi standpoint, La'an has been told not to talk to anybody about what happened. Yeah. And from an emotional standpoint, she doesn't want to. She decides to like come clean to Kirk on her own volition before the musical universe forces her to do it. Yeah. And tells him this whole thing and just comes clean. And I thought they both did such a beautiful job with this yeah. scene because she... You see the struggle, but she gets it all out there and she's talking about how she feels and she's so uncomfortable, but she does it. And then it's out there. And Paul Wesley Kirk is so kind mm -hmm. to her mm -hmm. in his response. And even though his answer is, no, we can't do this because, hey, let me drop a giant Easter egg here. I'm dating yeah. this chick, Carol. She's pregnant. Um, so every Star Trek nerd was like, woo, woo. We know who that is. <laughs> but like, 
And, you know, she didn't get what she wanted. And right. then when you have the scene at the end with her and Una at the bar, yeah. um, I think, you know, you're right about La'an's journey over the season is like being comfortable with who she is in her name. But I think the bigger thing here and the more universal thing in this whole arc is telling someone how you feel is never wrong. Yep. There's never a bad, like she got a result she didn't like. Right. But she did it. She had the conversation. She put herself out there and it's done. And even though she's not feeling great about it, now she can heal. Now she can yeah. move on. Like not talking about it, you were just going to live in this torture every time Kirk showed up. Now it's all out there and she can move on even though she didn't get the result. And I think that's something that universally everybody can relate to. We've all been in love with somebody or had a crush on somebody or liked somebody and we didn't talk about it and we didn't do anything and we lived for years not saying anything and drove all our friends crazy talking about it. And you know, did like, we, did we all have that? Maybe I don't recall like, that we all had that issue. Like, uh, maybe some of us. But, um, and so I thought it was just a really lovely arc for La'an and again yeah. the musical format put it all to the forefront and to your point also her going to Pike and being like this is a security risk yeah and Pike saying whatever's going on with you I hope it works out but let's see what happens but then he and we'll get into his arc yeah. realizes very quickly that it's a security risk for him too so like again La'an's sort of uncomfortability with emotions drives this bigger realization that being trapped in a musical universe the a lesser show would say, oh, well, we don't want to be forced to sing and dance our whole lives. Let's get out of it. What right. they they took it to its logical conclusion, which is shit. If you're in a musical universe, you are going to say shit to people that you don't feel like saying. Yeah. And I think that's such a more interesting obstacle for them to deal with. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. I, I like that they approach it that way, Lon. I think she said, I don't want to reveal my feelings in a 17th century shanty, which yep. I thought was a hilarious reference on so many levels. But, I mean, just for, as you said, for the Star Trek nerd and the things going off, the idea that you've got Kirk talking to a, um, a descendant of Khan, of Khan about Carol Marcus and David, David and Carol will appear in Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. David will be killed by the Klingons in Star Trek Three which we deal with the Klingons here in this episode. So I like that this all is kind of like an insular story while also stretching out and, and uh, having tentacles in the uh, overall stuff that they're trying to tell yeah. in the season and in the, in the show. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I mean, it's what I was saying before. I think that I think what JJ Abrams did with the Kelvin verse mm. uh, was a really big promise in the first movie. Sure. And then as soon as they got to the way they handled Khan in the second movie was kind of like, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think what they're doing here, and we said this before, that at, like at this point, um, if they carried this through all the way to Pike, yeah, going where we all know Pike is going to go, right, right, and right. Kirk coming on the Enterprise, and they started retelling some of these stories, like the way that they're setting everything up, I'm so much more compelled by this. Like yeah. to your point, like adding in this relationship between Kirk and Laan, putting dropping Carol and David in here, knowing yeah. where it's going to go, like. There's probably more stories to tell between what happens here, yeah, what happens in meeting Khan in the original series, and then Wrath of Khan. And if this show continues to do what it's doing, I wouldn't be mad if they filled in those gaps. We we talked about this last week. I yeah. I, I have a feeling that we are heading towards the possibility of opening the door of a Star Trek original series with the with some of these actors reprising their roles in a new series and filling in, as you said, those um, storylines and five years, we only got barely three seasons of the original series. So there are many more adventures that they could go on and still reference stuff from the original series. And I think that would be so much fun to see because I am growing uh, in my admiration for Paul Wesley and what he's doing with Kirk, like really. Yep. And I know people have been complaining that he's been in the season a little too much. I've seen that online. But I think this is just enough, and it's episode nine. Next week is the end of the season. So we've had a good amount of Kirk to give us to get us excited for what may be coming if they do launch yeah. an original series with him as Kirk uh, coming through the timeline. We'll see. Um, uh, yeah, all right. So uh, where are we at right now? All right, let's do – let's jump in. Let's actually do the Pike and Battelle, and we'll save Chapel and Uhura for after the break. Right. Let's do Pike and Battelle. We get this uh, – we get the songs going through. Everyone's having this moment. And then Pike and Battelle, uh, Pike is singing on the sh on the ship, and then he starts to have this back and forth with Battelle because we had seen earlier in the episode 
that Patel had wanted them to go on vacation to this place that Pike wasn't 100% cool about, but said he'd be maybe interested in it, maybe not, we'll see, blah, blah, blah. So in terms of kind of pushing her away again, after he had claimed, I think a couple episodes ago, that he was ready to, you know, kind of reignite things with her and understood where the mistakes were. But then the song happens between them on the ship, which was very Sondheim-esque to me, at least. It felt like Into the Woods, where they're having this back and forth in front of the entire crew, and that eventually leads to Pike and Battelle having a come-to-Jesus moment between them at the end of the episode, where she says, you can always tell me things. You don't have to, like, we're cool. You can say what you don't like. It's not going to work unless you fully communicate with me your needs but she says i can't go on the vacation right now you're lucky because i've been called away to this mission we know where pike ends up michael to me i don't think captain Patel is going to survive this mission i just have a feeling but what did you think about this uh pike storyline here with Patel and how they kind of landed that uh, plane as well at the end yeah i mean look given everything else that goes on the pike Patel storyline is kind of a runner Yes. Kind of like, I'd, it's like the C or D plot of this whole thing, but it, it still serves a really nice purpose. Like Pike and Battelle planning a trip. Battelle is, Battelle's more me. She wants to go to the touristy place. She's really, <laughs> it literally was like, it literally like basically if you just replace the the, uh, the planets and what they were talking about, Battelle is saying she wants to go to Hong Kong Disney. And right. Pike is like, I want to go to Yosemite. Like that's basically the argument. Like yeah, it's like God, Hong yeah. Kong Disney, they got a brand new ride. I've never seen it. And you're like, holy shit, I just want to go to Yosemite and go hiking. <laughs> um, so like really clear, get what's going on here. And then, like I said, like the the private conversation musical number just yeah. serves to ramp up what the obstacle in this episode is. So like literally, Laon is in the elevator with Pike and says we're all going to just reveal how we feel about things. And that's a security risk. And he's like, okay, that doesn't sound like a security risk to me. <laughs> and I think Spock and Ahura on top of it. I think, well, so we're singing, what's the harm. Right. And as soon as he says that you have Battelle show up with this private conversation. And what I love about it is <laughs> because it's a musical and they can't control themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's like, let's have a private conversation. And then he's like, okay, let's, let's go. And I'll, and she's like, no, 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 no. And like, they have this whole confrontation in front of the crew and it's super uncomfortable until Laon is like, fuck this and turns yeah. the thing off. She turns it um, right, Exactly. Yeah. But you instantly, it, it it's just a really good building of tension because Laon is like, I don't want to reveal my emotions, goes yeah. straight to Pike and says, I don't want to reveal my, reveal my emotions, which is a very Laon specific thing. But then seeing what happens with Pike and Battelle, you're like, oh, no, this is going to happen to everybody. Like this right. actually is kind of a bigger problem. So it does a really nice job of raising the tension. And then they wisely sort of like cool it on Battelle and Pike yeah. uh, until the very end where they have sort of the makeup scene where you get this really lovely scene, which is like, again, which is like Pike's going, I fucking hate Disney World and <laughs> and Battelle's like cool I really don't want to go to Yosemite yeah let's pick somewhere different and it's very nice I didn't think about the fact that Battelle might not make it out of this next mission that she's talking about but well, given that we're about to get into the finale I don't think you're wrong mm. and look long term to your point we know where Pike is going yeah I'm, yeah not about this episode but kind of more about what the arc uh, and the plan for Strange New World is like I don't know like what how they're going to handle what happens to Pike is very interesting to me. Like yeah. he knows what's coming. Yeah. He's grappling with that. Doesn't feel great. He's seen how bad it is. Um, but I'm really curious. Like, I think when they do get to that point, I think it's going to be very emotional the way they do it. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to, I, I trust them that they have a plan on how they're going to do it. And they've done so many wonderful emotional things this season. I, yeah. I, I, I have faith that they're going to do it, but like they, this version of Pike is so compelling and so great. It's like, it's a bummer. Yeah. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see how that, go how that all shakes out over the next season or two seasons or what the whatever their plan is. It was a bold approach for Pike to, to do that with the character of Pike. And they've kind of put themselves in a corner and most writers, you know, the real challenge is to write yourself out of the corner and can you do it effectively? So I I'm curious and very, very interested to see it how they do that. You know, it's like, I don't know for sure, but it's like, I think that 
when you watch the original series and you see what happens to Pike, it just feels very tragic. Yeah. And I think Pike in Discovery leading into the launch of Strange New Worlds, knowing what happens to him and grappling with that feels very tragic. Yeah. I have a feeling that I don't think they're going to do some kind of weird timey-wimey thing where Pike all of a sudden that doesn't happen. Like we're very clearly in the timeline that we know. Yeah. But I have a feeling what they're going to do is make what Pike does more of his choice on yes. his terms yes. and make it like a very noble death that we're all like crying and being like, that's my guy. Yeah. A heroic death. Yeah. Or a heroic burning, so, so to speak. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, all right. We'll take a quick break and then we'll jump into the nurse chapel and Spock storyline and get into the um, Uhura storyline as well and talk about some rapping Klingons when we come back. On a remote island in frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Why you gotta go? Gotta go, go, go. That's the Klingons. That was honestly, I screamed. I screamed and I am still laughing about it now. So, Jesus. Um, all right. Well, let's give some love real quick before we uh, go forward here uh, to the director, Derma Downs. Uh, did a, I think did a fantastic job directing this. From one look at his resume, I don't think he's ever directed a musical before, a musical episode before. So, pretty fantastic stuff. Direct a lot of the CW shows, a lot of the CW superhero shows done some other stuff like criminal minds uh so shout out to him and the writers here co-executive writer dana Hor- co-executive producer dana horgan she's written a couple episodes uh as well including the ed aspera episode and bill walkoff was the other writer on this he's written four of the episodes including two episodes ago those old scientists so nice to see bill and dana's work in this episode and the songwriters are the songwriting team of tom pulse and Kay hanley for those of you who may not know Kay hanley she was the lead singer for Letters from Cleo. If you remember uh, that soundtrack from Melrose Place, she had that one big song for Letters for Cleo, but she they also wrote songs for 10 Things I Hate About You and Josie and the Pussycats. So very well known, Kay Hanley and Tom Pulse. And Kay Hanley also does a number of um, charity events for musicians, for music, for people to get them into music as well. So someone who has stayed around in the music business for a very long time. So shout out to them doing a wonderful job with this. All right. Let's move on to uh, Spock and Nurse Chapel here, Mike. Um, we see the Spock at the beginning here. He's doing this experiment, and uh, we'll get to Uhura being the switchboard operator from the 1940s and all of this. But Spock is trying to figure out how to experiment on this uh, naturally occurring subspace fold. He wants to see if he can triple the speed of subspace communications. I saw a review saying that essentially he was trying to find a way to text to do, be able to text between ships <laughs> in this whole thing. But I think it's a nice connection here. They can't seem to get it to work. Paley is the one who suggests that dynamic harmonics or songs, since Uhura is humming, could be the way to communicate with this and get it to work. And it causes this wave when they do. They pump in this 1940 song, and it causes a wave to come through the entire ship. And Spock is the one who starts singing and starts ta- talking about, in the very Spockiest way possible, the very mundane stuff that he's doing and the natural stuff that he wants to figure out and all of this. And we see him being the one that starts this, but then eventually we get to nurse chapel and uh, nurse chapel Spock trying something new here leads to nurse chapel being, she's been waiting to hear about this uh, program that she applied to. Remember she did, she got turned down for the Vulcan science Academy, uh, but she got, she gets accepted into this program, gets the news here. And then, we get it, and she's in the bar celebrating with the Ortegas and others. Spock walks in, see her cel- sees her celebrating, and then kind of passive-aggressively says, hey, uh, why didn't you tell me about it? I didn't know why you, why you would hide it from me, which, boom, launches the song, I Am Ready. And Sophie Bush, this is something out of Chicago, uh, what I saw here in this whole thing, and she just belts out a song talking about how she's uh, uh, embracing a professional ambition getting this fellowship uh stepping away finding her power being herself and yes she's ready to leave spock and by the end and the whole uh everybody in the bar joins in about the end by the time she's done though spock walks away he's hurt clearly and we go to spock's song and spock is very lovelorn and he's in engineering using the same uh music that uh nurse chapel was just singing 
and he talks about his relationship with her. But he also says he's that he's been dysfunctional, weak, and emotional in this relationship, which is a weird thing for me because this relationship has gotten him in touch with his human side, which has been a good thing in the growth of Spock. And at the end, when they're having the big musical number and everybody's coming together, Nurse Chapel turns to him when the song is over and Spock turns and walks away from her. So clearly there is uh, work to be done here in this relationship. But Mike, is the relationship over? It seems like it's over because where she's going with this fellowship, she is going to meet Dr. Corby. And Dr. Corby is who she ends up being, uh, um, ends up becoming fiance with uh, uh, in the original series. So what are your thoughts on how they handled the Nurse Chapel Spock situation here in this episode with all the songs? Well, it's interesting. I saw some people on Twitter talking about this, uh, including some people that tweeted at us about it that did, were like, mm. I don't like what they're doing. Spock and Chapel's being dumb and she should talk to Spock and then Spock should just say this. <laughs> and yes, all true. But I think that's what I love about this is yeah. this is just two people that their own shit is preventing them from working it out and being great, which is mm. how things work most of the time. Mm. So like even from like, from the and again, what I love about this season is that even in these episodes where they're taking big swings, they're using those big swings to propel the story forward. Like yeah. Spock and Chapel were kind of doing good. They were hot and heavy after charades. Yeah. They were like throwing caution to the wind. This is super fun. Boimler shows up from 150 years in the future. Spock is smiling and laughing. He freaks out, kind of reveals to Chapel that the version of Spock that she's hanging out with right now is not the version for the history books, yeah. which gets her completely in her head yeah. about, well, then this is not permanent. This is not long-term. Next episode, we find out that, like, you know, uh, that Chapel and um, and Mbenga, like, went through some shit in the Klingon Wars. It all comes yeah. back up. She does not want to share it with Spock because she's still in her head. So now Spock is like, well, she doesn't – I can't be there for her. I feel weird. So now he's in his head. Right. So you've got two people that really do like each other, can't get their shit together. Yeah. And then you lead into this musical episode where first, even a separate from the chapel thing, like this opening number of status report yes, where Spock true. starts singing that leads to Pike being like, why are we singing to like everyone in the medical bay singing and this whole big ship wide musical number that launches the episode. Yeah. It's a banger number. Like as far as opening numbers for a musical, it's really, really good. It establishes what's going on. It establishes the tone and humor of everything. Everyone being weirded out, their facial expressions, like it's just gold. Um, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So yeah, then we find out that Chapel uh, gets the gets the Corby internship. She's going there. We all know that she's gonna end up being uh, engaged to Corby. So we know that this is, whatever's gonna happen between Spock and Chapel, like their hot and heavy part is pretty over. Yeah. Uh, and I think they do this really nice job of like these, she should just go tell Spock, but she can't do it. And then yeah. Spock shows up and is like, why didn't you tell me? Like, was this an oversight or did you just like, what's going on? And that again, using the, the obstacle that La'an establishes and then Pike shows this is why it's a problem. If it's a musical. So yeah. she speaks from her heart and is like, look, this is what I want. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to go do what I want to do. I am not a lovelorn female who's just going to wait around for a guy. I'm going to go do what I want. I'm ready. And I don't know that you're a part of that. And would she, would she have said all that if it wasn't a musical episode? No, probably not. Right. She probably would have kind of avoided it or soft-pedaled it, but she just says it all. And, you know, you got to feel bad for Spock. Like, this Vulcan who is trying to work out how to have feelings – when the girl that you like doesn't just tell you she's ready to move on, but tells you in a giant musical number in a bar where everybody gets into it, like that's got a sting. Um, and then he goes and has his song, which first of all, the whole I'm the X, like yeah. a song where Spock is trying to solve for a variable and X is the variable, but also he is now the X boyfriend. Really great, really yeah. smart move. And then to your point, I like, like, look, yes, we know as humans that expressing your emotions and being in touch with your emotions is good. Yeah. But we also know that the Spock from the original series is not a super emotional Spock. Right. So Spock having this thing where he sort of experimented with love and leaning into his human side and having this song where he expresses that he thinks that was a mistake 
and that it was dysfunctional and he can't deal with these emotions and he's now going to lock them up because this was too much and he's going to go back to being more Vulcan. It kind of gets you to, oh, this is why Spock is the Spock that we know down the line. Right. Like that there's a road where maybe Spock was way more in touch with his human side and Mm -hmm. was a more emotional Vulcan, but that's not the Spock that we know we're going to get. And now we know at least partially why that is. So again, I think really good in terms of like this fun musical episode, but also really good in terms of what we know about where Chapel is going and what we know about where Spock is going. Yeah. The more emotional Spock is the, is in the Kelvin timeline. The Zachary Quinto Spock is your more emotional Spock. This, the relationship with Uhura, the screaming at Khan after Kirk dies. Like there's so much emotion with him, his reactions to getting bullied, his reaction to his mom dying. Like it's all there. And his interactions with uh, with Ben Cross as his father, um, so yeah, that that's where the emotional spot is. I, I I I hear your points. I do have a little bit of criticism, but also a little bit of support for how they did this because listen, relationships at that age can be messy. And remember, she didn't want to jump into this relationship. She was forced to reveal her feelings by the yellow and blue entities there in that episode, which caused that to open up. Spock was never going to end up with uh, the lady from Vulcan because he, he doesn't end up with her. So it's his, he, he wasn't hundred percent happy in the situation already. She was just the exposing of how he wasn't hundred percent comfortable with that situation. The way the, that woman's mom spoke about his mom, like those kinds of things were there for Spock always. So the relationship with Chapel just opened that up. Did Chapel allow her feelings to get the best of her and make out with Spock? And in that moment, yes, Absolutely. Were they navigating that with, with Boimler telling her about it? Did she get emotional? Because, yeah, she was losing that. Sure. But then in, when we get into the, um, the her singing all of that thing, I think you're 100% right, Mike, to have her sing that truth so proudly, so defiantly, so powerfully in front of a room full of people. And I saw some people defending it going in, going like, oh, well, it's great to see a woman standing on her. I agree. But it doesn't. It sucks to be the other person, and so we can oh, yeah. also we can also create space for understanding that it wasn't the right time to do it. Well, it wasn't the right situation to do it, and it was pretty hurtful towards Spock, a guy who hasn't shown nothing but a desire to uh, um, comfort her and talk her through tough moments and whatever, and have her push him away. So my defense of it is: if you were okay with Pike pushing Battelle away at times throughout this ep- throughout the season. You got to be balanced and be okay with Chappelle, uh, Chappelle pushing or Chapel rather. Chapel. Chappelle, Chappelle, Dave, and then Dave Chappelle on. showed up. And then Dave Chappelle showed up and said, let me tell you something about the future. No. Pushing Spock away. So you got to find the balance in all of this. But look, relationships are messy. Young relationships are messy, especially when you're on the precipice of what you want to do with your life. People are going to get hurt. It's, it's Sadly, it's part of uh, relationships. Well, There's always a better way to handle it, but not everyone has that ability. But also, I think, and I, I saw this online too, and like, mm. I think people are missing the underlying obstacle in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, if this was not the, we're living in a musical universe right. and we're going right, to speak right, our right. truth. Like, if this was just a regular episode this way. Right. and Spock walked in and said, why did you do this? And she stood up on the bar and said, because Spock, I'm an independent <laughs> woman and I don't want to fucking be with you. Then yeah, then Chapel, like, I would have been like, ooh, that was, right. that was mean. Right. Like, that's, that's a little rough. But what people are equating this big musical number to that and like, no, this is what La'an said. Yeah. Like, this wasn't Chapel's choice to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to announce to Spock that I'm ready to move on from him right. in the meanest right. way possible. This is why being in a musical universe yeah. is very inconvenient. Like she does the whole thing. And then the, if you watch it at the very end, she says, I'm ready and looks at Spock and she feels bad that he yeah. did. Like, and, yeah. I, and so I'm really curious to see whether it's in the finale next week or as we move into season three, yeah. what happens to this relationship? Because... I do think that this is, even though we know it's not incomplete, even though we know they don't end up together, right. I think that their relationship, mm-hmm. even if it's a relationship that moves into a friendship, is not done. Right. And I think that if you right. look at, like, honestly, look at all three storylines. Like, we know Pike and Battelle don't stay together. Whether Battelle is going to die or whether she sticks around until Pike, you know, and she, like, mm-hmm. we know that they're not staying together. Right. We know where Kirk is going. And we know that Laon and Kirk don't stay together. Right. We know the chapel and Spock don't stay together. So 
Right. That we're not watching a TV show to watch these people do everything absolutely right and model really good communication yeah. and relationships. Like we are watching this to see how people come together and have these moments of connection and then those moments fall apart. And what do you do about that? And where do you go? And in the same way that La'an in that scene with Una is kind of like, yeah, this sucks. And Una's like, yeah, it kind of does. And you sit there with your friend and you commiserate and it feels better. I think Spock and Chapel still have more conversations to happen. Um, we're not just going to end it with they ended their big musical finale. He walked off and that was the end of their communication. And remember, they served together in the original series on the Enterprise. So clearly they are going to come back together and have the will they, won't they, on again, off again type of hots for each other. But they will eventually not end up together. So there's still a possibility down the road that if there is an Enterprise series that gets launched uh, based on the original Enterprise series, it will be Jess Bush and it will be um, uh, Ethan Peck on that playing those characters. So, yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, my initial reaction was like, oh, my God, that's terrible. Why would you do that? But as you said, when you understand that yeah. the, uh, the underlying obstacle is that they're not doing this because they want to do this. They're being forced to because of that uh, yeah. subspace if, uh, anomaly. Yeah. If exactly. anybody listening to this or watching this thinks about, and it can be anything, like obviously people you are attracted to is like yeah. top tier, but things that you don't want to say to your parents, things you don't want to oh, say yeah, to your right. siblings, right. things that you don't want to say, you love your best friend so much, but you're never going to tell them that this one thing they do pisses you the fuck off. Like yeah. this whole episode is built around the fact that if you are trapped in a musical universe, you don't have a choice. Right. That is going to be brought up. Which is why we find out later that Pike says, like, the fleet does not want this to keep spreading because it could ruin it yeah. relationships with the other species and everything we got sweared out with the Federation. When, when Una, we got to nip this in the bud. When yeah. Una is like, the Admiral told me in a very surprising baritone <laughs> to deal with this problem. I was like, I love this episode. I love it. Um. I don't want to end on the Klingons, so let's hit the Klingons now. Mike, the Klingons are in here. General Gar General Garkog um, uh, comes upon the screen when they find out that the subspace has affected them as well, this anomaly. Uh, and uh, he says, we can't quote, uh, we can't abide the quote, abominable source of our dishonor and intends to destroy this subspace e uh, fold immediately. Uh, and he's going to be there in two hours. It forces Pike and, and everyone else to try to figure out how to stop this thing. And eventually, when we get to the big number, we see the Klingons pop up and do, in essence, a rap or spoken type of thing that is very reminiscent of Hamilton. Uh, and then eventually, uh, they it all levels out and they come back to normal. And then Spock has to do some um, blood wine uh, uh, maintaining of the relation or fixing of the relationships there and comes back tipsy on the bridge. But Big shout out to uh, Bruce Emner, who uh, Bruce Horak, who played Hammer last season. He plays the general, uh, the Klingon general here, doing wonderful oh, work. Oh, I so, did not know that. Yeah. So, what do you think of the of the Klingons popping First up? All they're not rapping it's like hip-hop there it's well, not like whatever like, it like, no because like i had sort of seen before the uh before yeah. i watched it because i watched it later in the day it's spoken uh, word isn't it like somebody uh, was like hamilton? it's more it's hip-hop like it's not is like it hamilton they're, hip -hop what they're doing they're uh, when i saw rapping klingons i was like uh oh and then i watched it and i'm like this is like boy band hip-hop shit like this is yeah. not that here's the thing like yeah. First of all, just Klingons in general, like a very, again, we came off a very heavy Klingon episode in the last episode, but true. True. having a feeling that Klingons are going to kind of play some role in the finale and really just being clear that even though the Klingon war is over, like relations between the humans and the, the Federation and the Klingons yeah. is not great. And right. then using the Klingons to just like escalate the stakes, like, yeah. oh, we're trapped in a musical universe. This is going to be really bad if it spreads everywhere. But then the Klingons coming and saying like, we are so fucking upset about what <laughs> we are doing right now that we're going to blow this thing up. And if you blow it up, it destroys yeah. everything. So it like, it just raises the stakes in a really nice way. So look, I think when you're going to do this thing where you're going to cut to the Klingons, and you're like, well, how are the Klingons going to be singing? You really either, to me, like yeah. if I was in the room, you're like, either we're going to do Klingon opera. Yeah. And just go full opera. Or what is the most annoying, embarrassing thing for a Klingon? And this whole sort of hip hop boy band vibe they had going was really it. Like, so when you think about, again, the issue is that the Klingons are like, we are going to blow this thing up because we are, this is shaming us. Yeah. Like we are ashamed of what's happening. And even when you watch 
when like they hail the Klingons, he starts to say, what are you, why are you, why are you uh, hailing us? Yeah. But then he stops and he, he's like, because he knows what he's about to do. And then he goes into that thing. It is wild. Like it is so just, it is so stupid, but intentionally so that I think it's hilarious. Like if you hated it, totally hear you. Of course. In the, in the terms of what this episode is, it literally like was a spit out my drink take. Like it was like, holy shit, these Klingons are full like backstreet boysing right now and I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand. Yeah, I saw the same thing you did. Rapping Klingons and then I watched the episode. I'm like, oh, this wasn't bad. This fit the kind of Hamilton vibe that I, you know, I'm not going to miss my shot. You know, that kind of song. Why are you so going to hail us? Like I was like, I was in. I was <laughs> yeah, in. I was fine. Um, also, a real quick uh, uh, Easter egg with that one. They were on Katinga class battle cruisers which uh, were introduced in Star Trek, the motion picture. So nice little connection there. They were not in the D sevens, which we've seen here uh, throughout this uh, season. All right, let's move on to Uhura here. As we wrap up our review, want to say the best for last year, Celia Rose Gooding, who is a Grammy and Tony nominated performer. As I said, she is a switchboard operator uh, doing this whole montage of switchboard operating for the 1940s at the beginning here. So Spock can experiment on the subspace fold uh, we find she's the one that has the 1940s song, the Cole Porter stuff. She's the one it's, that opens anything the goes. Stop huh? calling it a stop calling it some random song like it's not one of the most famous songs. It's anything goes. So here's the deal. I was in Anything Goes and it was a terrible production. And so I don't like to talk about it, but fine. All right. If you want to say Macbeth on stage, knock yourself out. All in right, olden days, a glimpse of stock and was looked on as something shocking. Um, anything goes anyway. So they can't seem to get it working. As I said, Paley is the one who suggests things, but then we hear, uh, also that when Uhura ends up down the road, as she's going through this whole process, helping Spock out, trying to figure this thing out with Spock, there's a go, going in to check on Spock after the, the number from chapel. Then she's on her own here and she delivers, keep us connected as she sings about finding patterns in both data and in her heart sings about how she's always helping everyone and it's time to start embracing herself and walking her own path and finding her own strength while also being a part of the team. And this leads to the big final numbers you were talking about, Mike, this big number with all the crew members, including Sam Kirk, singing together as a symbol of teamwork. We even get some dancing on the bridge from all the main characters here. And here are the lines. We're unbreakable, unshakable, improbable, unstoppable, sensational, ovational. We, the fully explorational crew of the Enterprise. Someone compared it to the Muppets uh, celebration, the most sensational, <laughs> inspirational, celebrational Muppet. So I could see the influence there. And she's the one that eventually gets everybody together and gets it all done and, and sends the shockwave back to the subspace fold and ends this from happening. And then back on the bridge, she starts to hum at the end of the episode and everyone gives her a look uh, with uh, that basically says, you stop that right now We're we're going to move on from this situation. So what did you think about how Uhura was handled throughout this episode, her banger numbers and how Celia Rose, uh, Celia Rose Gooding did here in this episode? I mean, like I said, I really love what they've done with Uhura this season, like kind of fleshing out her backstory a little bit more and like really putting her in central storylines where Uhura's ability to communicate, is her superpower as a communicator. Um, so, you know, I always, I always actually think of like Sigourney Weaver in galaxy quest <laughs> and how like she was kind of like, they were making fun of like what Uhura yeah. did as the communications yeah. officer, because in the sixties it was like, I've got the Klingons for you. They just said this, <laughs> this is what's happening. And sort of just like when we had, a, you know, like, and like when Sigourney Weaver's like, look, I repeat what the computer says. It is a <laughs> stupid job, but it is my job. And I think what they've done with Uhura, as I was yeah. saying earlier, kind of really being like, look, it's not just that she speaks a ton of languages. It's not just that she knows how to do that. Even when the chips are down, she can go 1940s operator and keep yeah. everybody connected on the enterprise. But that when it gets to the more sci-fi versions of how to communicate with people in all the different ways that you communicate, she's sort of at the forefront of all of this. So I think it's a really great kind of runner for her throughout the season and her episode where she was dealing with Hemmer, uh, Hemmer's death and seeing all of the visions Mm -hmm. with Kirk and leading into this episode. um, I think the whole 1940s operator bit at the beginning was just really cute. It was just super adorable watching her sort of like, just keep everybody connected. And then her kind of her and Spock sort of trying to put the pieces together on how are we going to, 
figure this out. How do we get out? What does it mean to be in a musical? Mm -hmm. How do we get out of being a musical? And then, you know, her kind of being there for Spock throughout for the Spock Chapel storyline. But yeah. then when she's alone and she gets into this moment where she's trying to figure things out, like, this is the banger of the episode. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. that, you know, oh, like yeah. I said, I think that Status Report is a great opening number. I yeah. think that Laon's How Would That Feel is a great, like, it's a banger number. Like, that's good. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Jess Bush, like you said, not the strongest singer, right. but they made the most of that number and just turned oh, it yeah. into this full production number in the bar. But then uh, this part, like this song, Celia Rose Gooding's song, Keep Us Connected, I have listened to so many times since that thing aired. Wow. It is the banger song of this episode. Like, it is by far the best written song it is by far the best performed song. Yeah. And like I said, giving Uhura a song called Keep Us Connected is just a home run as far as like who this person is yeah. to Star Trek fans and to the Star Trek universe. Like it's perfect. So then giving her the solution and then she immediately goes to Pike and says, look, we got to hit. We got to hit 344. I mean, it was basically, she was Doc Browning it. Like they had to get to 88. <laughs> we got to get to 88 miles per hour and then we're good to go. Yeah. And then you had this great moment where she was like, how are we going to get everybody on the Enterprise connected and inspired enough to sing? And Pike's like, you can do it. Yeah. She's like, I can't do it. And you're like, yeah, no, you're the one to do it. And so then her giving that wonderful, beautiful speech about, you know, what are the chances of all of us being here at this time in this place, which... Like to me, I always think of like my friends, like I think of, oh. you know, me and John and Shannon meeting in college. And what are yeah. the chances that the three of us would have come together in this way? And that 20 years later, we're geek buddying it up every week. Um, and so you have those, ins that inspirational moment that like launches into that. We are one epic, fun, big Muppet finale. Um, and it's all thanks to Ahura. And then you get, and then you give her the little button at the end with her humming. Like it was yeah. just, it was a, it was a great use of her both as a character and who she is in the Star Trek universe and as an actress, because you know that you got an actress that can fucking deliver yeah. and you give her a song that delivers. Yeah. And she's the youngest person on the ship, like on, on the main cast uh, in yeah. terms of uh, characters. And so she's the one that's going on this journey of self-discovery of, of finding her power. And, you know, the irony of her being the communications officer, uh, all of that being a part of this thing. And uh, yeah, and they've given her so much to do. On the show, as you said, they've done a great job of rolling out her character from that first season to where we are now and her finding her strength, her power. I mean, we saw her giving orders on the bridge a couple of or two or three episodes ago. So yeah. she's coming into her own and Celia Rose is doing a wonderful job with this character and getting a chance to really show what she can do. And just like you do in the best musicals, Michael, you save that banger number until the end where yeah. everybody is going to be killing it and you have that one person leading the way who is your best performer uh in your cast to be the person to uh, really put that song in people's ears and get them excited and certainly that is uh what you get by the end here and it's a wonderful job all around and it was great to see them all dancing around and doing all that kind of stuff which i thought was really interesting and at the end though when the subspace fold uh you know kind of disappears and explodes into glitter. The into glitter. It explodes into glitter. Into glitter, yes. Jazz hands into glitter. But um, we hear the original series theme song. So yeah. you tell me, what is this? Does this mean the original series has now come into the timeline and is moving towards that? Is that a hint that we're going to get the original series down the road? Or is that a nice little wink and nod to it's the a, original series? I think it's a wink and a nod. I think it's okay. a wink and a nod that just says, look, this is the universe. And also it's just saying like, this is a, this is a Star Trek musical. Yeah. Oh, like right. this is like, this is a Star Trek musical. We're going to give okay. you that little theme in there. Um, yeah. Like, you know, clearly based on my review, like I super, super liked it. Like I love this yeah. season. Like yeah. I, I, I get people saying like, this doesn't necessarily feel Star Trek to me. This is this, but like, I think the way that they have taken this show and been like, how far can we stretch Star Trek? Uh, let's do this. Let's do that. And like, again, to go from a Lower deck Strange New Worlds crossover yeah. to a very dark PTSD right. war. Uh, yeah. Is it right to kill somebody or not kill somebody episode? Right. Right. To a full musical episode. To whatever we're going to get next week in the finale. Oh. Um, the fact that it is bouncing around like that and the storylines and the characters still feel on point. 
Yeah. Like that's not easy to do. So I, yeah. I give them a lot of credit for just going for it this season. And in my opinion, uh, so far, just nailing it. Yeah, we're missing. I thought we missed one number, as you said, to have Pike and Mbenga have a duet about well, what Mbenga has and hasn't told him, I think would have been so interesting. And maybe they thought, maybe there is a number they wrote, but they didn't end up using because maybe thought it would give away too much. Well, but that that would have been an incredible duet between, like, like Agony from Into the Woods. Having those two have something like that would have been real interesting. Mike. It would have been interesting. I think that again, when you watch the episode, yeah. you know, when you decide that you're, you know, into you've, uh, production, your second season and you're like, we should do a musical episode. <laughs> you're like, okay, well, well, who, who can sing and who can't. Yeah. And fortunately for them, you had a couple people who could real like building the episode around Ahura. Yeah. Who is smart. also your Grammy award winning actress. You're like, yeah, that, that probably seems like a smart move. Yeah. Anson Mount, does a great serviceable job for the parts that he does, but I don't know that he is a singer and he might be, but it, it seems like he is not a singer that, uh, that is going to, uh, maybe he can't quite pull a, off a song on his own. And Mbenga also is like, Oh yeah. So they very wisely keep them in the, um, yeah. ensemble numbers and because and because pike is the captain you got to give him a little bit more but even his songs like they keep him pretty much in a zone and i I just you know i think that maybe had you given pike the big banger number that you want the captain to have like maybe it wouldn't have been yeah. great so yeah. i think they kind of right. wisely uh in the in the building of the episode leaned yeah. into their cast's strengths yeah yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair. Maybe they felt like, because well, Mbenga even says, I don't really sing. It's not my thing. I would never do this. So maybe they felt like, well, those two guys aren't the strongest. Let's not do a duet with those two. Um, but we did catch a little bit of a uh, shout out to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, musical number when they had uh, Chapel and Mbenga talk about bunnies. They didn't want it like bunnies, yep. which was a nice reference to that uh, to that episode for sure. Um, uh, yeah, so overall, uh, yeah, well, I think both of us liked it. Uh, it's the penultimate episode, so we'll see. Now that we've revealed all this stuff to each other, we'll see what this leads to going into the season finale next week, Mike. I can't believe we're already here at the end of the season, it, um, but I'm looking forward to it. Any thoughts as we wrap up this review or anything we else we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we highlight? It is wild because it doesn't feel like I'm like, oh, my God, we're already at 10 episodes. And then mm. you go and you just because each episode was really its own vibe. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it just feels like such a tight season. Like it yeah. just doesn't, it doesn't feel like those seasons where, oh, these two episodes, you know, like sometimes like with the Marvel shows and some other things, like, ah, oh, these were filler episodes. And this was this episode. Like it doesn't really feel like this season. Like you can look at the episodes that are like, maybe not as, not as big a swings as others or not. Mm. Like you can go through now and be like, okay, well maybe these two, but nothing, nothing feels like a filler episode. You're like, well, this, yeah. these, just these two just weren't as strong as the others, but yeah everything has had such a strong point of view and a strong sort of, this is the type of story that we're telling this week that um, yeah. it's felt super, super tight. Like I'm going to be sad that we're ending the season. I, I, I would have been happy with like a 15 to 20 episode season with this, this, this whole team. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. It would have been nice to see a little more with them, but you know, that's part of what makes it great is that it comes and it goes and you've got to appreciate that you even had it. Uh, to enjoy so for sure so we'll be ready certainly for the finale next week um all right well there's our spoiler review here for subspace rhapsody episode nine of the second season of star trek strange new worlds we hope you enjoyed it michael what do we have to tell them i don't know because you didn't put the uh, email addresses up on the screen oh my god when did that happen has that so... been off the whole time oh, oh now you know what now ask me again <laughs> michael what do we, well, you know what, let's, because uh, obviously I'm going to edit it because it's been off. So I'm just going to say, um, all right, Michael, uh, it's been a fun uh, episode breakdown. Uh, what do we have to tell our people here? Uh, well, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow us on Instagram, you can do so at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, you can do so at the Roca says. And if you would like to follow me, you can do so at MK tune. And while you are doing all of those things that you like to do, here's what we would like you to do. We'd like you to hit that like button below. We'd like you to subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page and check out all the amazing content he's got. We would like you to leave your comments below. Did you love the musical? Did you hate the musical? If so, on either front, why? 
why. What were your highlights? What were your lowlights? Tell us all of it in the comments below. Um, if you're listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so that we go up in the rankings and more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. I'm not singing. I'm not a good singer. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it madly. Take care of yourselves. Be well. And then come back and join us next week for our uh, spoiler review of the finale of Star Trek Strange New World Season 2. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.